You are now listening to Operator. Welcome to Sakai Asks, a radio show and podcast here on Operator. My name is Sakai and I'll be asking the questions each episode. I'm a cultural programmer, workshop facilitator, researcher and artist based here in Rotterdam. Originally from the UK and originally, originally from Zimbabwe. My research and expertise lie in race, decoloniality, black feminism, healing and joy. This is a show where I pose an overarching question and invite people to explore answers and possibilities with me. I'm interested in having more in-depth, nuanced discussions about important topics with those who have lived experience. So join me as we dive into some juicy topics. Today I'm asking, what could a safer nightlife look like and how could we get there? Joana Cavaco. Am wow. I saying your name correctly? That is great. And yes. my last name, you normally say it Cavaco. Cavaco. Okay. But sorry. that was honestly better than any Dutch person has has, has said it throughout my <laughs> six years living here. So 10 out of 10, Sakai, like, as usual. Thank you. Doing it better. <laughs> Thank you. Brilliant. Um, before I get into your bio, can you tell us a little bit about the song that we've just heard? So this song um, is called Limites, that means limits. And I I like to think that it's a play-by-play roadmap on how to flirt with someone. Mm. So she's basically saying, like, if you like me, Mm -hmm. the best way to get along with me is Mm. ask me if I want that. Mm. And if I say no, no means no. and then she just adds a very cool beat, makes mm-hmm. it very palatable. And that's mm-hmm. why I like it, because it's sort of an easy way to to talk about something that we as humans have a really hard time talking about, which is our own boundaries, be mm-hmm. that body boundaries mm-hmm. or emotional boundaries, whatever. Mm-hmm. We struggle with boundaries. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful. Well, that perfectly links into today's topic, where we're thinking about sex, consent, safety in the nightclub, night life world Mm. um and i invited joanna today because um i'm really impressed by the work that you're doing so looking at your very impressive biography i'm (laughs) going to pick some little uh little elements uh so you i think you were born in lisbon and you actually started off with an interest in classical music playing the cello which i find very fascinating um but you soon moved over to kind of european politics women's rights and culture um, and now you reside in Rotterdam yep. and you work for the Dutch NGO Humanitas running the hang- the Hangout Nultin. Yeah, you said oh, it so well. Like, I love it. Yes. Yes. Which is Nultin. Nultin, which is a safe haven for the queer youth in the city. Um, I've known you more through your work with the Slut Walk and yep. your consent workshops. And you do a lot of work advocating for women's rights and gender equality. Um, and those are the main remits within which I'm talking to you today. Is there anything you want to add? about your bio that you think is really important to this discussion? Yeah, I I like to do a little bit of uh, situating myself Mm -hmm. and what um, brought me to these topics. I feel like it's it's important because I know people hear this and they're like, wow, Mm -hmm. that's incredible. But uh, there is also um, some privilege that takes part that Mm -hmm. allows me to... to, to talk about these things and even sitting here, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have um, 
uh, university degree. Mm -hmm. My parents also have university degrees. Mm -hmm. um, I come from a working class, but there was always a very big focus on education and mm -hmm. languages and music. Mm -hmm. um, and then also me having migrated from Portugal at mm -hmm. the age of 21, mm -hmm. and that was really the breakout factor that allowed me to uh, delve into a sort academic, but also non-formal practice, but also artistic practice. Um, and I just wanted to include that uh, to make sure people know that that's where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and my pronouns are she, her. <laughs> Perfect. And I think also maybe it's important to name within this work, because I think I find that very interesting, the ways in which whiteness intersects with this. Absolutely. And the ways in which um, I kind of wish there were more or maybe there are more black and brown people running these workshops or Absolutely. participating. And, and maybe you can also speak to the work that you're doing to help grow that base, I suppose, as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's, um, a, a, well, I would, I would call it a problem here in the Netherlands because mm -hmm. if, especially now, diversity and inclusion, and then you have this talk about safer spaces also being part of this, being kind of bundled mm -hmm. in there, um, it's dominated by uh, white rhetorics, Western-centric rhetoric, mm -hmm. a lot of times very punitive, mm -hmm. which I struggle a lot. Of course, we want safer spaces, mm -hmm. but do I believe um, that punishment and pain um, is the way to go? Mm -hmm. No, I, mm -hmm. I, I don't agree. And then you come with the fact that um, it's mainly white women doing this labor, mm. not necessarily bringing other people with them. And that creates automatically a systemic problem because mm -hmm. you're only focusing this practice on those white bodies. Mm -hmm. And then you leave a lot of experiences outside. And, and that's not good when we're making policy that is about the body and not just about whiteness. I'm talking mm. about also ableism, mm. um, about body size, Uh, about any type of um, bodily expression that we see as standard and the danger of that standardization. Yeah. So for sure, I see that also um, when having these conversations and it's incredibly frustrating. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think even the politics of, like I was uh, coordinating a black men's group and mm. I was like, oh, it'd be really good to have a consent workshop. And I was like, the politics of inviting someone in that isn't black no. to run that. I was no, like, no, I mean, I would say just no. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't, that's why I didn't. <laughs> But I'm just saying, um, yeah, the politics of the group dynamics, the ways in which black masculinity is positioned and hypersexualized and... I have recently had a <laughs> crazy experience um, in which, you know, I, I did a fellowship, mm -hmm. a great academic program uh, in Berlin about German colonialism. Mm -hmm. um, so a very interesting program by Humanity in Action, but it was a mixed group. Mm -hmm. So we have um, Jewish people, people of color, mm -hmm. black people, queer people, and then mm -hmm. of course, white German people. Um, and, and something that happened there was the group had a problem, right? And we were not able to solve it. Then the problem happened again, but this time with the black men. Mm. And then all the white people were kind of like, well, this is a problem. This And it was again talking about masculinity mm -hmm. and the way we perceive it and toxicity. So they couldn't react to the first problem, which was a white woman. Mm. But then the second one, mm -hmm. they're like, we need to react mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it's a black mm -hmm. man and mm -hmm. we have no idea mm -hmm. how else to react mm -hmm. to black men. Like the world is incredibly... Um, dangerous and uh, unkind to to black men, and mm. uh, uh, but still we need to have those conversations because mm. we also know that black men and in general men mm. um, have an issue with yeah, yeah. Uh, making these safer spaces. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so I thought we could start a little bit backwards because I thought yeah. it'd be nice to think about um, what is the safest night out that you can recall that you attended or you facilitated. Like, let's start from the positive, like where we want to be moving more towards or maybe where we are in some spaces right i was thinking about this it was like <laughs> it was out of all the questions you sent me this one was like oh, okay no. <laughs> which one which night did i feel the safest and of course i have an answer to that mm -hmm. um and i i was thinking it wasn't necessarily the night mm -hmm. that had the most um awareness or the most rules mm -hmm. but it was the night in which I believe that if something happened to me, mm -hmm. there would be mechanisms in place to mm -hmm. deal with that situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking, okay, so it's not just about if there is safety in the moment, mm -hmm. but it's also about our perception of safety and how mm -hmm. we can get accountability mm -hmm. in these situations. Mm -hmm. I know nowadays uh, this is a popular topic. Mm -hmm. A lot of clubs mm -hmm. want to have 
safer space policy. Mm-hmm. Um, but are they willing to really look at their practices and look at their basis and be like, we are going to start a conversation. Mm. They don't want to do that yet because they, they find it that it's still not their place. So mm. I would say that the safest nights have been wild and crazy as hell. But then if something had happened, mm. I would have had a way to express that pain and possibly also to resolve it in a amicable or positive way. So Clau, Clau Rotterdam, mm-hmm. shout out. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they're not out there anymore, but the, they were the, the queer collective here in Rotterdam where mm-hmm. I felt that that was happening. Yeah. And so can you name for me, like what did it look like practically that made you feel or know that if you did have an issue that it would be taken seriously? How did, yeah, how was that made real for you? Yeah, I think it was in in their discourse, uh, mm-hmm. in their discourse, but also um, in the practice and the policy that they were pushing on their socials and on their communications, being mm-hmm. very clear: if something happens to you, you can mm-hmm. do this, you mm-hmm. can do that. Mm-hmm. There is sort of um, very clear road that you can walk on mm-hmm. if something happens to you that you don't like or that you're sad about mm-hmm. or that mm-hmm. makes you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they really were very good at at, at putting at putting that out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bergson Zizek was the uh, creative director at the time, mm-hmm. um, and her emphasis were, was very much on putting out their content that mm-hmm. referred to safety, that referred to well being, and that then also gave you a little um, uh, uh, post party care. Ooh, and that's something we don't have. Post party yet? Yeah, PPC. Okay. I mean, um, (laughs) I think honestly, it sounds really serious, but I think it's, for example, if you as a collective you host a party Mm. and something happens and Mm. you receive a message on Instagram, that you don't wait a week until Mm. you reply. You reply. Mm. The day it happens, you don't need to reply with like, okay, we're gonna do this, we're gonna Mm. do that, we have a whole plan. You don't have. That, that right at the, at that time. But what you can do is, I hear you. Mm-hmm. It sounds indeed very serious. Mm-hmm. It goes against our, our community guidelines mm-hmm. and we are going to talk about it. Mm. And in my experience, and I spoke, I've spoken to a lot of victims, a lot of survivors of um, sexual misconduct in clubs and, and legit just in life. And what a lot of them will say is, what was important to me is that somebody believed me mm-hmm. and that I knew I wasn't making anything up in my head. Mm. I was at the club, I got harassed, Mm -hmm. I don't know who it was, Mm. but I want to communicate that to the club because Mm -hmm. the club should know that this Mm -hmm. behavior is Mm -hmm. happening Mm -hmm. in their space. Mm. But then it's not always the clubs organizing, it's collectives Mm. organizing in the club. So Mm -hmm. then you have all these complicated power dynamics that Mm -hmm. don't allow for um, development of practice and policy within the clubs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think within that, um, so I was involved in uh, an activist group in the UK called Sisters Uncut. And within that, we had a safer spaces policy. Right. And also, I I kind of think that we need to get rid of the idea that we can guarantee a safe space. We can aim for as safe a space as possible, but we all together have to create that and I think that sometimes what's happening now that people are saying oh these collectives often like queer collectives brown collectives have created these um kind of community guidelines which is really great that will be up in the club or will be on their Instagram but when it comes to actualizing those when it comes to something happening it feels like people freeze a little bit or don't really know how to react and I feel like that's the second layer of work that we should be doing and in some ways you could be arguing and I'm not saying this is always what's happening but um people can be lulled into a false sense of security. Like we have this list of community guidelines. So then you're like, oh my God's down. And then when it happens, it's like almost more shocking. So I kind of feel like, I don't know, there needs to be a way to do this work where we can be like, this is what we're aiming for. And all together we need to be creating this rather than there is this external authority that I tell and they'll tell them off and then it will all be okay because we're in community with these people right these people are us as well who are behaving in these ways that are transgressing our boundaries yeah I think in those moments it's very easy to be like oh that club is doing that Mm. or we hate taking collective responsibility for each other like Mm. as humans we we really don't don't like it Mm. (laughs) so that is usually that the 
easiest way to go about it when when I do these types of work mm-hmm. uh, for clubs or festivals, mm-hmm. that the first thing that I will say at the door is we are responsible for each other. Mm-hmm. Indeed, we cannot guarantee safety. Mm-hmm. I, I also um, really like to make that clear to to my clients. Like I cannot come in here and undo um, mm-hmm. 21 centuries of male <laughs> dominance and uh, uh, patriarchal convention. Like, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, honey, <laughs> um, nobody's that talented, mm-hmm. you know? So um, that's not possible. Mm-hmm. So what they don't like hearing is that this requires cooperation from them. <laughs> they, they would prefer it just being like, okay, now it's done, we have the rules, now, you mm-hmm. know, we go. But for example, um, Uh, I do see a huge disconnect in these documents that often sound very well and they have all the right words, mm-hmm. but then the practicality, it's not there. Why, you ask? Mm. Because clubs are not really invested in it. Mm. Clubs don't really like when somebody like, like me gets hired by, I don't know, Motel Mosaic, I don't know, Mm-mm. going into their club and being like, you're not safe. They're like to say, no, but we are safe. Mm. And I tell them, In the first five minutes, I've been doing the door for you. I've heard two people already being spiked, uh, mm. which means to be drugged without your consent. And we're talking about a very known Rotterdam club mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. just like refuses to, to, to acknowledge that it is a problem, that you're going to have to invest money. Mm. It's just like you have, I like to tell them, it's like you have an infrastructural problem mm-hmm. in your building, mm. right? Something is wrong with the floors. What are you going to do? You're going to invest in it. You're going to mm. have them changed. Mm. But when it's about safety in the nightlife. Oh, but don't you mind doing that for exposure? No, absolutely not. This is a practice. This is something we need to do. And it's something you need to take seriously, just like installing a new sound system. Mm-hmm. This is important. And women and queer people deserve to feel safe at your club. And I was almost imagining it, um, I'm making a parallel to like DEI work where they just want to bring in the external person that will come mm-hmm. in, fix it, and then, yeah, we can just get on with stuff. And that's maybe what I imagine maybe some organizations see you as when they invite you in. I don't know if that's been your experience. I mean, definitely. Um, and I've been part of, of processes that also have failed because mm-hmm. um, in the beginning they will tell you, yeah, we want to do all this. Mm-hmm. And then you start, I always ask my clients, is there anything I should know? <laughs> because I will find out. Yeah, just tell me now. Just tell me now. <laughs> I would rather I know. And listen, you will be surprised how many of them are like, no. And then like a week later, I am finding out that they have huge problems of harassment or inappropriateness and that there was even a trail, but they just did not think this workshop was about that. No, I think they knew they just didn't want to. I feel like also it takes a lot of guts and bravery to be like, yeah, actually my organization has been failing in this way and I haven't been supporting people and it would mean that they would also have to look at their own conduct who they've been maintaining in those organizations I would like to qualify as well what I said earlier around like community support I do also think there are moments where there are very clear uh breakings of rules of laws of consent where there's a very clear um idea of what should happen and that's not what I'm saying in like extreme circumstances I'm just thinking more broadly Um, well, but even about extreme circumstances, really? let's talk about oh, it. Go on, go on. Listen, I recently um, uh, met somebody, mm-hmm. uh, somebody, uh, I think they had their, he heads uh, Casa Cua in Berlin, mm-hmm. community space uh, for black people, people of color mm-hmm. who often in Berlin cannot find these safer spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and they told me this, mm-hmm. he said, we never kick anybody out. Okay. And I asked why. Mm-hmm. Okay, why? And they said because there are no other spaces for the people that come here. Mm-hmm. So this is the only space mm-hmm. that they have. Mm-hmm. And of course, my reaction was also like, okay, but like there are pretty hard limits. But then this challenged mm-hmm. my abolitionist mind yeah. frame, which, yeah. like in practicality, I always say we're not going to punish. But what if something really heavy happens? Like, mm-hmm. w- how do we? deal with it and and is exclusion then a good output of course this always depends on the commitment of mm-hmm. the person who made who was responsible for that behavior mm-hmm. if they want to remain in community mm-hmm. that is the biggest issue mm-hmm. if you don't want to remain in community then we don't need to go through this process mm-hmm. go about your life and be happy and marry destroying other houses <laughs> but 
like yeah if it's our own and mm. this person needs this community because they're trans because they're black because they're of color because they're disabled because they are not able to find that anywhere else what do we do and yeah. that's kind of the next step in this conversation and that's the very difficult painful challenging confronting work that i think a lot of us aren't i don't even know if i'm all the way there to do. me neither and and this is literally <laughs> what i do for a living this is my job but yeah. yeah but to be honest i always tell people um, the way we've been dealing with boundaries, this comes from a, a, a place of rape culture. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That is the name of it. I know people don't like it when mm -hmm. that is said, but it is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, we don't deal with each other's bodies in, mm -hmm. a, consens in a consensual manner mm -hmm. because we're not taught to, to, to do that. Mm -hmm. the, I mean, these systems are incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. They are reinforced, propagandized. Mm -hmm. So it really is not a surprise to me that we need to consciously make this effort because we are being fed all this bull crap mm -hmm. every day since we are since we are even not existent since you know we're still in the ovaries mm -hmm. of our of our birthers mm -hmm. so i think it really takes effort and it mm -hmm. takes also trial and error mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. it's not possible to solve everything like mm -hmm. i've i've you know, very rarely do I go in like an accountability um, and a soft accountability process where it ends good. It mm. doesn't. It, it Very rarely it ends in a way that is satisfactory for everybody. Mm. There's often one party that is very hurt and, and can never move on. And that comes from, um, again, rape culture, because even when we hurt people, we don't want to acknowledge that. And that's often what I say in these trainings. Mm. Um, we all can hurt each other. It doesn't matter how, much, how many consent trainings you had. Mm. We can all do things uh, because of also uh, white supremacy mm. and all these other systems mm -hmm. that we embody and mm -hmm. we lived in. Sure, we can all make mistakes, mm. but it's how we talk about these mistakes mm -hmm. and how we make space mm. for then the resolution, the transformation of these transgressions that is the most important. And that's what a lot of participants in these processes do not understand and do mm. not want to understand because that requires self-work. And also I think something my mother always says to me is like, people just don't accept as a baseline. Community is difficult. Mm. Working so together difficult. with people. It's so difficult. Group work at school, group work at uni, a workplace, your family, all of these things are really difficult. Community is not easy. No. And I think that we um, sometimes imagine like community safety to be easy, soft work. And I actually find that loving work can be quite hard tough challenging and painful at times but worth it yeah and i think if there's a prerequisite that's like okay i accept as a baseline that working together in community is going to be challenging i think that also changes the expectations to begin with perhaps right right absolutely so yeah. true yeah absolutely i feel like maybe we should take a few steps back yeah i feel like we've been Let's using go. <laughs> lots of words but i thought maybe it'd be helpful to define some things so i was going to be like um what, how would you define safety in a nightlife context? Like, what are you aspiring to create for people to, who come to your events? Right. So I see it in 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 an egalitarian as an egalitarian platform. Okay. Um, I would say that the, the a, a safe nightlife is a space where anybody, mm -hmm. and I mean any body, mm -hmm. be there an able-bodied body, a disabled mm -hmm. body, black, brown, white, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. We go in the club and we're able to express our joys, our sorrows. We're able to enjoy that space mm -hmm. without having a sense of uh, fear. Mm -hmm. And when a sense of fear, I mean that you would go to the club and you do not need to be looking over your shoulder every 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be checking with your girlfriends if they have creeps surrounding them. Mm -hmm. You don't have to check in if you can go to the toilet alone mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. that's something you can do. You've come as you are, you come dressed in what you want and you, even when somebody approaches you in a way that you don't like, you're able to go to someone, to somebody in the awareness team and say, hey, I don't feel comfortable, this happened, please help me deal with it. Mm -hmm. That's it. A night where um, if something happens to 
um, anybody that they are believed and not dismissed, mm. which is usually um, the rule. So for me, this is what I think about safety, like unboundless joy, mm. respecting the boundaries of everybody mm -hmm. who is in mm -hmm. the space with me. Yeah. And what does that look like practically? Like I've seen you on the door. I know that, yeah, maybe you could explain to us like the semantics, the practicalities of what it looks like when a club, for instance, or a festival asks you to run a night for them and incorporate uh, forms of community safety. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I must say every path is different okay. depending on what are their wishes mm -hmm. and also um, how serious they are about the implementation <laughs> yeah. of these policies. Yeah. So for example, I, I never take a job that I think that they are using me just for name mm -hmm. because that would be bad for me mm -hmm. because I am known in my circles mm -hmm. uh, for being the person that can talk about these topics. So if I... Um, am invited and then I notice that the commitment is not there, mm -hmm. they're not listening, they're not talking to their staff, they're seeing it as a very clinical issue, then this is not the space for me and better they find another like uh, trainer to do this with them. Um, so it first starts with really talking about the space. Mm -hmm. What is this space about? Mm -hmm. Who comes here? Mm -hmm. who, is, who, who is your community? Mm -hmm. And then uh, talking about incidents mm -hmm. um, and being very specific of like, what is your experience? What mm -hmm. is your type of knowledge? What has been happening here? Mm -hmm. And once I get the idea of like, okay, what is happening here? Then I can make a plan for them, a little mm -hmm. roadmap. Um, sometimes it's individual, individual conversations. Sometimes it's workshops, mm -hmm. depending on uh, what program they have. And then together we create policy, either they already have it or we create it from scratch. Mm -hmm. Um, we publicize it, we use mm -hmm. marketing to mm -hmm. make sure people are aware that there's going to be a certain change. Because of course, sometimes um, certain communities that are used to a certain type of um, dealing with the space, suddenly mm -hmm. somebody comes and tells them all this, they're like, oh no, that's too much, <laughs> it's not for us. That's often what I, what I, what I hear, it's not for mm -hmm. us. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, you don't need to know consent, okay. <laughs> That's sure. interesting. And then they realize how ridiculous they sound. And mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, everybody clearly needs this. Mm -hmm. um, so I focus on doing capacity building for them mm -hmm. and facilitating this capacity building. We a lot of talking, a lot of workshops mm -hmm. and a lot, basically I hold that space for them. Mm -hmm. I hold it, I answer their questions, mm -hmm. whatever question that might be. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, I also can decide what I like the most. Of course, if it's a club or an organization, I know better and I can go deeper in the mm -hmm. practice and it's nicer than a, an organization that has nothing mm -hmm. because then you're the first person to talk to them about safety in the nightlife. And that's honestly <laughs> can be a little rough mm -hmm. um, because uh, I think these spaces have really some set ideas on what safety looks like. And mm -hmm. it's of course defined by white men. Mm -hmm. um, and then you know you have the proper event and then mm -hmm. we decide what are the appropriate mechanisms to apply in this night. Mm -hmm. Do we need a person at the door? Most likely we do. How many people would we need to keep the space safe? Um, what is the role of security? What is our role? Uh, how are we gonna decide in the moment? Do we have a zero tolerance policy? If something mm -hmm. happens, mm -hmm. how we're gonna deal with it? Mm -hmm. And most importantly, we also explore, and it sounds a bit counterintuitive, but it's important um, to explore the limitations of mm. the space. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes we have spaces that are so big that I'm like, I mean, we could have 100 people here, but I'd, I'm not sure if that would contribute to the overall safety of the space. Mm -hmm. I think maybe you benefit from having somebody at the door mm -hmm. talking to them. Mm -hmm. But it really depends on what the client would like mm -hmm. and how they see themselves. And to be honest, how hard I have to fight with them mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people are very receptive, sometimes they're less receptive. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, the most important is a commitment. And then of course, evaluation, super important that we go back mm -hmm. after the fact and we see what went wrong, what didn't go well, because it also requires them to then improve because I'm gonna leave mm -hmm. and now you have all this policy, all this practice, mm -hmm. what are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. And that's something that I still don't have Mm, haven't developed a, a way to really evaluate what happens when I leave. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, I've heard some success stories, people that are like, yeah, this really changed the way we were organized. And some mm -hmm. are like, well, this wasn't really helpful for us because of mm. a myriad of factors. Yeah. And I know when I've been out at some of the club nights that you've done, so you'll be on the door. Right. Would you explain to people like what you're doing when each person enters and what you're discussing with them when they enter? Yeah, so what I'm doing, <laughs> I, I, I like, it's kind of like church that... <laughs> you see everybody that comes mm -hmm. in. There is a certain power to it. I actually mm -hmm. quite enjoy it because <laughs> I get to really lock faces with everybody. You're in a very serious mode. I'm always like, Ooh, very serious, very <laughs> serious. I have to be very serious. Yes. And, and I know that sucks for my friends because I know I have to look like really very mm -hmm. grumpy, mm -hmm. but that's, you know, I'm a small, short person, mm -hmm. you know, very femme. I need to command respect. Mm -hmm. Even those days, I decide my hair <laughs> in a way that looks more threatening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everything about my outfit is to make me look a certain way and give mm -hmm. you a certain type of response. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm very serious and everybody that walks in, and I have to be serious as well because people are coming you know, people are drinking, people are doing drugs, mm -hmm. um, and that's amazing, but that also like doesn't make them great listeners. <laughs> so you have to really like make sure that they are listening. And that's really the most important part. Mm -hmm. um, I check in with them, I welcome them to the club, and I tell them about the rules of the night. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, they sound very hard, but it just, I, I wanna make sure that they hear me out. Mm -hmm. And often, depending on what the club wants, it's very basic. I make it very simple, mm -hmm. um, very practical. What mm -hmm. can you do? What can you not do? So mm -hmm. one of the things I always say, when I kiss somebody, touch somebody, mm -hmm. ask first. Mm -hmm. And no means no. Mm -hmm. Very practical. Mm -hmm. But also, my script is made in a way that I want to see mm -hmm. how people react to these words. Mm -hmm. And that gives me immediately a reason to kick somebody out or to keep them in. Before they even enter. Before they even enter. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Because I just don't want the risk. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and um, usually, when I am part of these nights, like the community knows I'm part of it. Mm -hmm. Some people will specifically only go to those clubs mm -hmm. if there is something like this. So it's also about you know my name, mm -hmm. reputation, but mm -hmm. also my my uh, my siblings who are coming here to mm -hmm. have a good time. Mm -hmm. So it's not it's not about the the doubt the doubters, it's about the believers and mm -hmm. um their enjoyment and pleasure. Mm -hmm. And right there if people I love I love it. It happens every time. It's men making jokes about it. Uh -huh. uh, oh, so I've heard everything everything everything. <laughs> um I believe in that night you were there at at Motel Mosaic yeah. and I was telling them the rules somebody was like, "Oh, but this is a techno place, right?" Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "Yeah." Mm. Like, "But techno." So not consent. I'm like, "Well, how about both?" <laughs> <laughs> and this is just of one I've had fights. I've sometimes kicked people out just because they could not not do a rape joke talking about consent so why would i let you in my club and you should see the reaction mm. oh the reactions people mm. have at being told no mm -hmm. crazy i've seen people be like talk who's your boss mm. let me call and i'm like i am the boss so, like and do you have security on your side as yes. well okay and that's when things go sour mm -hmm. I, I tell the security hey kick this person out, mm -hmm. we're done for the night. Good. And that's something very important for those of you out there who are listening, who are also working in these practices to really come earlier to the space and talk with security mm -hmm. and have a conversation because also the way that security in clubs mm -hmm. is placed, mm -hmm. it's based on rape culture, mm -hmm. right? Like you will, you will kick somebody out if they're too drunk, mm -hmm. but if somebody is out there grabbing women's asses mm. under their skirts mm. that's okay because it's not it's not that bad of behavior mm -hmm. so it's also important to come earlier and have a chat be like hey like we're gonna try to do this differently and if i ask you to kick somebody out just believe me and kick them out and usually security deals super well with this they're super interested okay. like they're the ones actually that um I feel most respected by it during those evenings oh, that they're so really, good. because they know how hard it is and yeah. they see what we're trying to do. They mm -hmm. see also, you know, we have to work out the kinks, mm -hmm. but they're the muscles, so they're trying. So mm -hmm. that's it's very good um, to have a security team that you can trust and that can be that, you know, um, that strength for you and just kick somebody out because of course people get violent. People, mm -hmm. I mean, I've had people wait for me to leave the mm -hmm. club to like, I mean, it's <laughs> um, mm -hmm. very interesting. Like I said, 
people don't like to be told no yeah. <laughs> and yeah. be held accountable for their behavior. And if your whole society is set up like this, there's literally people that will go their whole lives without ever taking any accountability for mm -hmm. what they do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And um, inside the club, are there people placed sometimes that if you have an issue, you can approach as well? Yeah, so we have usually, uh, we call them floor angels mm -hmm. um, and they receive training. This mm -hmm. is very important. Mm -hmm. Um, I know clubs that will just create these teams without any type of training. It mm. is very dangerous mm. because if something happens, it can also traumatize somebody yep. to, to yep. deal to not being able to. If somebody comes to you and says, "I was just sexually assaulted in a bathroom," yep. this can be very traumatizing if you don't know how to how yeah. to hold that space. So that's why I tell them it's very dangerous to send mm. out um, teams without talking about like, how are we gonna deal with it? What's the chain of command? Mm. Um, so the floor angels, they're not the muscle, that's mm -hmm. security always. Mm -hmm. So if mm -hmm. something really goes down, mm -hmm. um, they are the ones asked to remove the people. Mm -hmm. um, but we basically train them mm -hmm. in consent, mm -hmm. safer spaces and also crowd management. Mm. Um, and then they are present throughout the whole night mm -hmm. from the beginning till the end. Mm -hmm. They're doing rounds, they are identifiable and anybody can approach them. Um, I've had nights where people, nothing happens, but people just feel good mm. that they are around. They, mm. they will go to Floor Angels and be like, oh, thank you for being here, oh. I enjoy it. Like sexual trauma is so heavy in our society mm. that sometimes just having somebody there means a lot, means mm. you can shake your ass without <laughs> fear of somebody grabbing you and not, you not being able and it ruining your night. Mm -hmm. um, so they're very, very important. And usually, you know, we keep it in communities. It's very mm -hmm. important to me to hire people from community that uh, will also take that work and then spread it yeah. to their own practice yeah. because that's how we spread this around mm. um, as much as we can to create these spaces of pleasure and joy because that's what the club is for a lot of us. And that's what it should be. Not a place of trauma and fear, no. but pleasure and joy. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think again, like this uh, PPC or the uh, what post-party care or an evaluation or aftercare, I feel like that sounds really central and in some ways. I feel like more organizations are kind of clocking onto, okay, it's really good to have a list of community guidelines, which I think is brilliant. Mm. Um, then on the night, having someone to actualize that. And then if something happens, there being that aftercare, and maybe yeah. that, that post-party stuff is like actually in some ways, not the most important, but like just as important. Yeah, just as important, absolutely. To have like follow-up yeah. and to be interested. Yes. Um, I think that's really what is missing right now, uh, or at least that's what I see clubs struggling with because I see them making the codes of conduct, I mm. see them having their cute awareness teams, but then I hear the most horrible stories mm. because if you are in this position, women, queer people, non-binary people, they will you know, they, they will tend to, to, you will be the ears of what mm. is happening. Mm. And I still hear a lot of, of troubling mm. incidents that are not being followed up. <laughs> So it's a problem. And then there is a lot of victim blaming. Mm. And that's, you know, women, queer people that experience this, they will be like, oh, but what can they really do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's not your problem. Mm. That's their problem. They're mm. the ones who decided to have a, a nightclub space. Mm. This is part of that. Mm. Yeah. And what do you think that kind of lack of action or lack of willingness to engage once harm has happened is stemming from? Is it like their own discomfort? Is it they just don't want to be their problem? Is it they're actually quite freaked out about it? Like, what do you think may be at the root of the institutions or the individual's unwillingness to really actualize their community guidelines? Yeah, I think it's uh, both. I've seen it being, I, I've seen it being institutional. I've seen it being personal because mm. um, a lot of these spaces are not institutions. Mm -hmm. um, they are very much almost working in collective uh, level. Um, I think it's a mix, right? Mm. So institutional culture is very hard to overturn, mm. but I think the root of the problem really is the patriarchal structures mm. that uh, we embody in us since uh, as we grow up, and especially in these artistic spaces. Mm -hmm. Oh, because we haven't talked about oh, that. We, we, we haven't gone in there. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the, these artistic spaces, these mixed spaces where you have um, this mentality in which care is not seen as something, you, you, these experiences, these traumas 
almost make you a good artist, a good performer, a good person. Like these are just experiences that you're experiencing. Mm-mm. No, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. trauma is trauma, mm-hmm. abuse is abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, I've met a lot of men in these places and I still know in Rotterdam we have what I call him, the Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. We, we've had a lot of problems mm-hmm. with sexual misconduct. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they will call you in. Mm-hmm. So that, that that still happens, it'll mm-hmm. call you in. But then when you start enumerating the steps that it's mm-hmm. gonna take mm-hmm. to solve this, they'll mm-hmm. go like, no, but that's mm-hmm. I'm not willing to do that. Mm-hmm. That's not what I came here for. And that's very hurtful because you're mm-hmm. like, but this is a safety about another human being. Mm-hmm. What do you expect? Mm-hmm. And then comes the creation of an alternative social discourse mm-hmm. um, of uh, the person who's trying to get more accountability as obnoxious mm. and as a cancellator. Mm. Um, I've been put in these really weird framings mm-hmm. um, that, that are very sexist, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very, very sexist. Uh, because I was demanding accountability from certain spaces for certain situations. Mm. And when I say demanding accountability, I mean an apology. Mm. So you could also debate, like, we're not even asking for it that much, mm. but even the minimum, the bare minimum feels like a violation. Mm. Because I guess when you're being held to standards of accountability that are unknown to you, that can feel as a violation. You're like, oh, mm. I cannot be held to that account. Like, that's not possible. Of course it's possible. Mm. You can have a friendship with a mm. woman mm. without abusing her. You can you can have sex with a woman that is consent. Like you can go mm. to the club and have a great fucking time mm. without um, uh, imposing on somebody else's boundaries. Mm. But then this requires work mm-hmm. and this requires, requires deconstruction. And that's when they're like, oh, but it's so comfortable where I'm at. Mm. It's so comfortable here. For you. For, for you, of course. <laughs> and, and then, uh, sorry. It's Go ahead. And I also would challenge like, obviously it's not just cis men that are responsible for this behavior, but I also, I mean, Bell Hooks talks about this, like it's so comfortable for you there, but is it really right? <laughs> Patriarchy isn't serving cis men even. So yes, having to uh, confront certain behaviors may feel painful, Um I suppose I I wonder how comfortable it really is, really, Mm. really. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously far more uncomfortable for the person who's been violated. Absolutely. But I think what's also very interesting is the ways in which, um, like you'll say, you'll go to an institution and be like, is there anything I need to know? And people are like, no, 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 there's nothing there. And often I've been quite shocked and disappointed and saddened by people who know stuff, people Mm. who know their friend is behaving in certain ways. And Oof. yet there, I mean, I could give the benefit of the doubt, maybe some conversations are happening behind the scene, but from what I've seen, the way my moral compass is set up, I see certain behavior and I'm like, I'm out. Yeah, We're not working together again. Yeah. But I feel like sometimes people have uh, got used to kind of acquiescing to certain behavior or Absolutely. just being like, oh, well, or taking the um, perpetrator or the harm doers uh, narrative as gospel rather yeah. than complicating that and being like yeah but how was power a part of this like was that person be able to make consent and I think people also don't want to feel that they're friends people hate that yeah do that their family do that like because again like we don't want to take accountability <clears throat> we don't want to it's so much easier to be like oh and that's also a conversation I had recently um uh in a, in a very interesting event where Lucas Johnson um, had a video and Lucas Johnson is a very interesting organizer, thinker, writer that mm-hmm. talks a lot about um, transformative justice and mm-hmm. how it works and making space for these difficult things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's always easier when this happens, when we know somebody is somebody does something and we know this person has done this infraction. Mm-hmm. It's easy to be like, oh, I would never do that. Mm-hmm. I would never do that. Never. never I would never do that. Um, yeah, I, I could never. Mm. Right? So we completely distance ourselves from that action, even mm. though the success of that action 
relies on our complicity mm-hmm. because that did not happen in a vacuum. Mm-mm, mm-mm. It happened in a space everybody goes to, everybody mm-hmm, knows. Mm-hmm. It was put under the rug for like more than a year. Mm-hmm. Several people knew. Mm-hmm. And then when shit hit the fan, it was like, mm-hmm. oh, but no, but no, people mm-hmm. knew. Mm-hmm. And it required the complicity of you knowing mm-hmm. for it to get this far. Mm-hmm. But then it goes into the realm of your own personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that's when it's easier to be like, oh, but he was just the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. No. It had the perfect, it's like mushroom growing. It needs the moisture, <laughs> it needs the, the ground, it needs the coffee. It, like it just doesn't sprout like that. Yeah. And we have to acknowledge that nobody's a saint. Mm-hmm. Like I'm your, I'm a consent educator and I have issues with my own consent. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. ask my therapist. Like I'm terrible <laughs> with my own boundaries. Yeah. Like it just, it, it requires us to be like, okay, I'm also part of this. And yeah. I think why men and specifically and then you go to white women because that's what is required white feminism is then required to sustain these things like we want to get to the same level of power and not dismantle it because yes. that's so much easier because we're one step away so we're just trying to grasp and right girl boss girl gag girl appropriate just lean in just lean in exactly mm-hmm. it's it's very frustrating because listen <laughs> i've had full-on conversations with men about consent and they're like i don't get it and then another man just comes in and just per- paraphrase what I said and they're like, yes, I get it. genius. But genius. I, I don't buy the lie, right? I don't, because I mean, I take a, a race angle on it, right? So when I'm, I don't anymore, but if I were explaining anti-blackness, racism to a white person that claims they don't understand mm. it and they say they don't get it, I actually don't believe you. No, I also don't believe that. <laughs> I'm like, you're just resistant it. to your own discomfort yes. and your own complicity. So, um, and maybe that's kind of a, a neat way to move into um, these consent workshops that you conduct. Right. Um, and I know I was talking to you before and you were saying that like there are a lot of men that are really keen to come to these workshops, are really enthusiastic. And maybe that'd be really nice to talk more, I don't even want to say like good men, but I think that actually there's become a narrative a problematic narrative that's kind of suggesting that like feminists are just kind of like being mean about men and da 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 da. But I think there are more men that want to behave well and want mm. to be aware of the issues, but are a bit freaked out by all of this new terminology, rape yeah. culture, transformative justice. What do these things mean? Um, what I know this is a very broad question, but like, what type of men come to your consent workshops? Um, and how, yeah, how do you experience those workshops? What happens in them? I'm like really curious. I've never been to one, so I'm curious how it happens, what works. I mean, unfortunately, Jonah Hill and Kiki oh, Palmer's gosh. baby daddy haven't come to my workshops yet. Oh, no. they <laughs> need they, to. They need help. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we have definitely those men that are like, um, they are enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. They want to be there because and to be honest, it's often men that have experienced abuse or have oh some sort of, yeah. um, have met somebody, have somebody in their lives mm. that experiences that, or, or they've had some some moment where yeah. they've realized I need to do better. Yeah. And they come, they usually apply to volunteer, and then Aww. of course they get, um, I, I always like to have a couple of cis men in the team. I love it. You know, spread the gospel out mm-hmm. there. Um, they're very enthusiastic. And of course they, they struggle with the terminology, mm-hmm. but I think what they also struggle is with healing their inner children because mm. they realize how much harm has been done to them, them. by the patriarchy. And mm. I think it's really important what you said, which is also something I say, mm. these moments of dismantling these systems benefit you too. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you don't get that mm. is so exhausting because like I said, uh, I will say something, a man will say it again, and, and he is revered. Like, can you just imagine mm. if the if the if the men around us, and this is a call out to all the all the cis men, mm. um, especially if you're white, if you're mm. listening to mm. this, um, why aren't you joining the fight? Why yeah. aren't you having these conversations with your friends? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times it can come even from a more gentler, gentler place. Mm. If it's you t- telling your bro, yeah. like, hey, maybe we shouldn't talk about <laughs> this girl in this way because mm it's not nice mm-hmm. and it's disrespectful to mm-hmm. her or hey bro what are you doing <laughs> i i've been i've seen the whole spectrum i've i've seen men harass women and then a friend is mortified mm. embarrassed mm. kissing our feet because they feel mm. terrible mm. and i've seen and i've heard stories of 
uh, men around them just mm. making it worse and like physically assaulting the women mm. that were trying to mm. send up for themselves because mm. they just could not deal mm. with seeing somebody in that body reject them or telling them no. I mean, but I think this is a wider conversation about ego, entitlement, um, colonialism. Oh, also yes. need to drop that one in lovely, there. Lovely. Because, yeah. <laughs> Colonialism yeah. is out there. Neo-colonialism, yeah. what? It's colonialism, pure, purest also in these spaces that these colonial um, dynamics are being replicated. Yeah. And and even in the way mm -hmm. we care for each other, they're being replicated. Because mm -hmm. ask yourself, mm -hmm. who is doing the labor mm -hmm. of holding the space? It's the femmes, it's the fat people, it's the mm. black people, it's the people of color, it's mm. the trans people, mm. it's the disabled people. Who are being most harmed in society. Yes. So you're being the most harmed. Mm. And then it's also up to you mm. to resolve the situation. So I, I just, can you just imagine a world in which the people that do hold this, a little bit of more privilege will look at this and be like, huh, mm -hmm. how can I support? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean centering yourself, mm -hmm. because I think sometimes people mistake supporting with centering themselves mm -hmm. in these narratives. There are many ways to support, mm -hmm. many, many ways. And that it doesn't then move into like mansplaining or- Exactly. And I mean, I don't, I think this work is very important. I also wonder what you think about, and I battle with this sometimes in my work, that sometimes a little bit of knowledge not a little bit of knowledge could be harmful. For instance, mm. we sometimes, mm. the woke fuck boy, this is what I'm trying mm. to talk about, right? The woke fuck boy. The woke oh, yes. fuck boy. Jonah so, Hill. So. <laughs> Sorry, Jonah. I don't Jonah. know if I ever really thought you were, mm, anyway, anyway, okay, many. Um, I feel like there are some instances where there are some men where I'm like, wow, he's so progressive. He mm. gets it. He's read some bell hooks. <laughs> he loves a bit of Toni Morrison. He's asking all the good consent questions. But then I, either I experience some things or I hear about certain behavior and right. I, I kind of the same with the community guidelines in the space you're lulled into a false sense of security and then when I feel like they're okay this is maybe quite dark to say and this is not all men but there are, are some instances where some men have weaponized that feminist knowledge yes to gaslight absolutely. women and that. Oh, my blood evil. boils. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, evil. Yeah, it's yeah, evil. It's evil. <laughs> and so then I kind of get to a, a bit of a despairing moment where I'm like, so what do we even do then? Can you imagine? Let's just for a moment pause <laughs> on this. Like, you you oppress another group because of their gender, then this gender decides to do something about it and create these like little words and like little structures to like solve it and help themselves, and then you weaponize this yes. against them. And this is happening to continue oh. their oppression. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. You have to um, laugh. You have to laugh, not to cry, and, and to a hole, and, and never come out of it for the next six years. Um, I mean, um, honestly, it's it's tragic. Like, and this, you could see it in the Jonah Hill messages where mm. the word boundaries is weaponized. That's my favorite one mm -hmm. right now mm -hmm. that I see men being like, mm. um, yeah, uh, when you called me out on mm. my behavior, mm. that crossed my boundaries. <laughs> I've been told this. <laughs> Oh, like well. I've been told this <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. So you did something to me. Mm -hmm. I told you I wasn't okay with that. Mm -hmm. And that crossed your boundaries, mm -hmm. <laughs> honey. Mm -hmm. No, honestly, it's, it's a tragedy. And what is even more a tragedy is seeing the uh, women around these men's lives, enabling them um, and not calling them out and allowing them to go around and keep on abusing, creating these very dangerous cycles of harm. Um, in other women, like I've seen this happen mm -hmm. in, 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 in institutions. And patriarchy doesn't just operate through men. Like no. I have been just as colonialism <laughs> doesn't yeah. just operate through white bodies. Absolutely. And that can be even more painful and even more shocking when yeah. you experience and witness that. Absolutely. And I think when you look at white women feminism mm -hmm. and, and the, and this not acknowledging also intersectionality as mm -hmm. an experience mm -hmm. and really discarding the experience of black women, mm -hmm. uh, trans women, women of color, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Jewish women, Muslim women, anybody who's yeah. not like Christian white, yeah. disabled um, women, disabled women. Yeah. It's so harmful because again, you are creating scholarship. You're creating discourse that doesn't include them. And that's, it's not going to work out for you. This mm. is, I think it's very important. It's also what I tell people in my practice. Intersectionality is the future. It's either this mm -hmm. or we're all going to not exist anymore. Mm -hmm. That is the stake we are in. Mm. And I think white women need to decide 
if you if they want to keep that commitment to the mm. world men built and mm. will ultimately destroy mm-hmm. so do you want to keep that commitment or mm. you want to join the the forces that have been happening for centuries because mm. as there has been oppression there has been resistance mm. do you want to join because if if they decide to join i think that's when things tip over and and then it needs it needs but it requires the betrayal mm-hmm. of the systems mm-hmm. that benefit you mm-hmm. and a lot of privilege don't want to do that don't want to they don't want to do that i feel like in some ways this may be messed up but in some ways i wouldn't mind if they were just honest about it yes you know what i really like my white cis privilege yes. and i like not having to think too hard about things and so i'm just going to stay here i would get that babes fine yeah fine like, do it's it. hard out here in these do streets it. like and at least you have the guts to say it with your chest yeah but a lot of people are doing that but telling me intersectionality intersectionality but i'm experiencing white women violence i'm experiencing so i think yeah but that i think that's again also expecting a level of accountability that's just not going to be there no. if you're so embedded with these systems. it's it's not going to be there and and the more i talk about you know uh, or i learn about colonialism anti-semitism racism all mm-hmm. these struggles queerphobia mm-hmm. fatphobia mm-hmm. there is one common factor and that the system requires complicity to yeah. thrive yeah. and i think that's what we need to understand mm-hmm. is that a safer space will be as safe as we make it mm-hmm. it will be as safe as the code of conduct mm-hmm. but as safe as you speaking out if you see something and you're yeah. like hey that's not okay mm-hmm. i was at a festival this weekend where they did not do the labor to to make it a safer space mm-hmm. um i am going to talk to them about that by okay. the way okay. <laughs> um i i was harassed multiple times and i was harassed and there were a bunch of men mm. bigger than me more powerful than me mm. that could have protected me in that moment and they did nothing mm. so and then i'm the one that has to be aware mm. all the day all mm. day mm. to make sure that i don't get harassed again because my body just cannot take that and like that's why a lot of people i know and mm. myself included prefer to go partying when there is a clear code of conduct yeah. it's a collective that we know yeah. um yeah that's just safer because the risk of re-traumatizing yourself mm. in a space of pleasure just it's is not 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 for this life i want to end on like a more positive note yes let's go <laughs> i suppose um a lot of my work thinks about the power of the radical imagination and imagining these futures beyond what exists right now and if you could offer to me or to us what is your dream of a future of a safer night life like yeah what is that dream and how are we getting there wow um last Small time question. i did this i ended up crying imagining a total dystopia and it Ooh, was very oh. it was very interesting as well okay. but this time i want to indulge the, the utopian part of this mm-hmm. um i'm seeing first off a fully accessible space mm. um we all have conflicting needs mm-hmm. sometimes a space that is too bright for somebody is too dark for somebody else mm-hmm. but it's a space where these needs can be held together not that we're going to have a club with one room for each one of the needs but that we are able to acknowledge that those needs exist and that uh, maybe we can do something about it maybe we can't um but that acknowledgement yes it's unsafe for women in the night yes it's unsafe for uh queer people in the nightlife mm-hmm. so first acknowledgement that we do not have the best going out culture mm-hmm. And that is already hard and not happening. We mm-hmm. have to acknowledge this. Mm-hmm. It is an unsafe culture of going out. Mm-hmm. The numbers will tell you, the data will tell you, the conversations will tell you. And having this intentionality embedded in not only the design of the space, but then of the policies. Mm-hmm. We don't just have security that can like remove somebody. We mm-hmm. have um adore a person that can mm-hmm. talk to you about it we have floor angels that mm-hmm. can just sit down with you if you're tripping too hard and maybe mm-hmm. you don't feel that well we have a little chill room mm-hmm. low stimuli where people can go mm-hmm. and kind of like fizzle out maybe engage in a little bit more of conversation how we make the the club more democratic and more egalitarian so that we all can enjoy because i, I think the club is so appealing because you know that moment when you close your eyes and you only have the beat of the sound system and mm-hmm. you just can feel mm-hmm. in your body i think that is such a privilege to experience that 
And we need to understand how many of these spaces do not accommodate everybody to mm -mm. experience that. Mm -mm. So for me, make it democratic. Let's open it up. Mm -hmm. Let's have the tough conversations. Mm -hmm. Okay, we have somebody that is a regular but uh, doesn't treat women right. Let's talk about it. Let's mm -hmm. make it so that this person can also enjoy the space, but also implement the boundaries that we require. Mm -hmm. um, it's a space of abundance, mm. but also in a space of accountability mm -hmm. uh, with kindness and love and not with punishment, mm -hmm. as that very rarely changes things. Um, a follow-up and that we don't forget each other mm -hmm. because it's often what happens. Mm. There is an incident, people talk about it, it's mm. forgotten, and mm. only the people that experienced it, mm. they will carry it for a long time. Mm. So how do we break that down and carry it together. Mm -hmm. In Judaism, we have this concept called tikkun olam, and that means to mm -hmm. heal the world. Mm -hmm. And that is the belief that we are all here mm -hmm. with a purpose to mm -hmm. make each other better mm -hmm. and to create these connections that ultimately allow the world to host us mm -hmm. because the world <laughs> doesn't need humans, right? So <laughs> what are we doing to heal ourselves, the mm -hmm. world and our spaces? Doesn't need to be grand acts, grand mm -hmm. gestures, mm -hmm. sometimes is making space. Mm -hmm. um, and nobody is born taught. So we're all here in positions of teachers and students. And um, let's just keep doing that. And maybe one day our children, our children's children, um, they'll have a better experience in this earth than we did. And that's, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I mean, when you were talking then there, you did talk a little bit about faith as well. And I wonder, like, I don't know if it's your term, floor angels, or it's taken from elsewhere. It's taken, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. I was actually going to ask then, where... This model that you're using of uh, creating safer spaces, where does that come from? Like, what are you drawing from? Or is it elements that you've designed? No, so nothing is original. Definitely not these yep. practices. Yep. Um, I think it's a mix, right? Mm -hmm. And it comes from being very grassroots. Yep. So the first shout out is mm -hmm. disability justice. Yep. That's where all of this comes from. And yep. actually a lot of other activism done out there yep. has just stole from disability justice, For not sure. giving it credit. Yep. So at first, all this idea of conflicting needs, making yep. space, talking yep. about it, this is all coming from DBJ. Yep. Um, and then we have uh, a little bit of... Um, uh, how, how would you say, rave culture, mm -hmm. a club culture that was happening in the 80s in mm -hmm. the US, of mm -hmm. course, but also in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, even I would say that the teachings of uh, Kimberly Crenshaw on intersectionality yeah. are important for my work. Like for sure. it's, it's essential. Yeah. Um, and then I think the floor angels, I'm not sure where it originated, uh, but it's really the the most common one that mm -hmm. I've heard and mm -hmm. that I was introduced to. And I do love it that they call it angels because mm -hmm. I, I love the connection to spirituality mm -hmm. and this ethereal mm -hmm. uh, position mm -hmm. um, that you take. Um, and I think that the other one, uh, other thing that's very important to mention is uh, uh, queer studies, queer mm -hmm. studies, mm -hmm. fat studies, mm -hmm. uh, teachings about the body, mm -hmm. trans-inclusive studies, because mm -hmm. this this will also go about um, uh, trans-inclusivity and mm -hmm. how we look at the body mm -hmm. as a as a yeah as an as a vessel as a flesh prison flesh cage as as I like to call it. Mm -hmm. um, but that's where I would start. Mm -hmm. And of course, you have certain collectives mm -hmm. that I I follow, like for example, Pussy Palace from the UK. Yes. I love their work. Yeah. I, I love how they talk about, I've learned things there. For sure. Um, but also, for example, Kazakua, what they told me that mm -hmm. they don't they don't send anybody away. Mm -hmm. So we keep on checking in with each other. Mm -hmm. I think it's always important that those of us who are making scholarship practice in this area, that we keep checking in with each other, mm -hmm. trial and, er and error. Um, yeah, but also looking at the teachings that already exist and honor them. Um, that's very important. For sure. Yeah. yeah, thank you for naming all of those things. I think it's so important to kind of contextualize where all this thought comes from and influences present. Absolutely. Um, finally, if someone listening would like to get in contact with you, would like to get involved, maybe they want to come to a consent workshop, maybe they want to become a floor angel, um, how could they interact with you and your work? Yeah, so I am at the moment mainly on Instagram, like mm -hmm. a lot of us, <laughs> but of course on LinkedIn. Yep. Um, I try to always share there a little bit more of the scholarship and of yeah. the practice as that sometimes is not very, pro not very appropriate, mm -hmm. but you know, Instagram, I also like to be my clown self <laughs> and sometimes talking about this 
it's not very handy mm-hmm. um but i am contactable you can even google me and mm-hmm. you'll find me yep. pretty easy reach out i'm mm-hmm. really interested um in talking with people especially if they're coming from the arts and cultures mm-hmm. um about their projects mm-hmm. i love talking with bachelor students about their mm-hmm. researches so it's very important that we keep connecting and keep making scholarship and something that i really want to start working on is mm-hmm. also archiving these practices mm-hmm. 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 which is something i hope to um to do for uh this fellowship i'm doing with humanity in action Perfect. to give a little bit of archive because it exists mm-hmm. and it's also important that we gather it in a organized way yeah <laughs> that uh, uh, yeah and so your twitter not twitter your instagram handle is uh joanna r cavaco and my last name is c a v a c o very easy to find perfect and we're gonna um end today with my song which i chose all about consent Mm. um which is ro james permission Mm. Uh, so enjoy and thank you so much for joining me thank you sakai i'm so excited to see how the podcast turns out (laughs) i cannot wait to see the following episodes you're such an amazing host and thank you for having me thank you yay Yay. thank you for operator for (laughs) hosting us us. yeah thank you shout out Did you?